Well, if you have your Bible, and I'm sure you do, I hope you'll get them and turn with me to Genesis, the 22nd chapter. And we're going to look at a few verses there tonight, and, and I think the title is up there, Faith in God is Never Disappointed. And I'm, I'm, I believe that, and I believe you believe that, amen? I can't see y'all, but I know you're out there. The glare here on my head is, is taking precedence. But uh, I know this is an old story, but, you know, old stories sometimes are good. And I want to go back and look at Abraham and his son and, and just look at this study again tonight. In the 22nd chapter, let's begin reading with verse 1. I'm reading out of the uh, New American Standard. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to the young man, The lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father? He said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declared the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Man, what a great story. Can you imagine what Isaac must have thought when he bound him up and laid him on that pyre? Just to set him afire. Boy, I don't know. I'd have been a little skeptical if I'd have been Isaac, wouldn't you? I've been wondering, Dad, you don't forget me now. Here I am. woo you know, here's me. Don't do this. But God had a word for Abraham, and God had a plan for Abraham. That's what I want to look at tonight. Reminds me of another story I read some time ago at 1138 a.m. on May the 29th in 1953. 
Sir Edmund Hillary stood atop the tallest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. Became the first human being at that time to ever climb Mount Everest. Now they tell me they'll take up folks like me and Casey if we want to go. I'm not that dumb. Tracy probably, Casey probably would go. I ain't going. But I don't have any experience at that. Don't want any experience at that. It was a difficult task. He had to gather men to help him on this task. He had to gather the mules, the donkeys, whatever, to haul the stuff. And they practiced and practiced and exercised, did all the things they were supposed to do. And they started out. Boy, it was a brutal climb. Many times they were exhausted to the point of turning around. Many times they thought, we're not going to make this. They had to chip steps out of ice on the snow and things like that. And they would pass from one crevice to one valley to the next crevice, moving on up 29,000 and some feet, two feet, almost six miles high. Almost six miles. Can you imagine that? But finally, pushing and shoving near to exhaustion, they finally stood on the top of Mount Everest. What a day that was. Well, in Genesis, the 22nd chapter that you and I have just read, another mountain rears its head, Mount Moriah. Was it 29,002 feet? No, but boy, it was spiritually very high. Spiritually, it was the highest mountain that these two guys had ever seen, and far steeper and rougher roads to get there than anybody would have ever thought could have been traversed by two men, one man and one boy, really higher than any man spiritually had ever reached before. But they did it. They got there, and, and, and at Mount Moriah represented the highest possible pinnacle of a spiritual life and surrender to one named God. I wonder how many of us can say tonight we have surrendered to that degree in our life. Man, that's some degree of surrender, isn't it? But not only was it a tremendous surrender, it was also a tremendous sacrifice for the other a sacrifice that he was going to have to give his life, that boy, if God didn't provide. And I love that, and we're going to talk about that provision of God here in just a moment. Few men, few men have ever climbed that high in the faith that Abraham had. And so there are two or three things I want to show you tonight from this. First of all, the provision of God in verses 7 and 8. Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, Father, what's the sacrifice that God will provide? I love that. Don't you love that? I tell you, God had a plan, and Abraham believed that God had that plan, and God was going to bring that plan to fruition. What faith Abraham had. He didn't have a whole lot to go on. He didn't have 66 books. He didn't have a lot of sermons backed up or anybody preaching to him. He didn't have a temple. He had very little to increase his faith, but he knew God. You know, I've heard that people get in foxholes, and I heard they get in POW camps, and one thing they really hunger for is a Bible or the Word of God. And I've heard stories over the years how men in, in POW camp would spread the Word, maybe a verse that they had memorized as a child in Bible school or something, or in Sunday school, and they would pass those verses along to give them strength in those days of great adversity. I, I admire those men and women that, that suffered through those kind of things. So look at this provision here. Isaac was puzzled, but Abraham wasn't. So Isaac said, my father. Now, I don't know about you men here tonight, but I know you well enough to know if one of your children said that and you knew what was coming up, you would be brokenhearted, wouldn't you? Where is God in all this? What's going on? Why hasn't he come forth yet? And yet you trusted God in the midst of all that. Abraham makes a one-of-a-kind statement, folks, and I want you to take this with you tonight. You know it. You've said it. you read it before. I think it's found in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. But if it's not, the story of Abraham's experience is there. 
God will provide. In fact, that's one of the names of God, if you're familiar with the names of God, Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. And you know, sometimes we wonder why God doesn't provide. Well, there's some umpteen reasons, I guess, for that, but let me just cut to the chase here. I think the reason doesn't, God doesn't provide for us sometimes because we don't, we don't know what we want. We think we want something, but after we get it, it's not good. And maybe sometimes we're confusing God with, with somebody else and thinking God's a Santa Claus is just going to give us all the good presents in the world that we could possibly have on to. That's not what God is talking about when he says, I will provide. Abraham makes that statement, and, and there's no pre prevarication in that word means straddling the fence, not really making a commitment. Abraham made a commitment to do what God had asked him to do if it cost him his son's life. But he, some way in his heart, he must have known that that was never going to happen. And the Hebrew word can really mean gyre. It could mean to see. God will see to this. God will take care of this, Isaac. Let's just walk on and see what God's going to do. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 139. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Do you believe that? Do you believe that every one of your days has been provided and settled and set in stone for you to live? If you'll obey God and follow him, you're going to have a blessed life. I can tell you that. God's going to use you and bless you in ways you can't imagine. And he's got a plan for your life. It's all there in his book. There's another thing in God's book. The Bible says that, that put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Yes, they are. The tears that you shed and you shed and I shed, they're there. God knows about them. And I believe there's some connection. I'm not a theologian, but I believe there's some connection with this verse and where it says in Revelation that God's going to wipe away all of our tears. He's been keeping those tears for years. And maybe he'll take that little bottle, and it will be little. It won't be no quart jug or gallon or 50-gallon. But whatever God does with it, it's going to be an affirmation that the days of crying is over with. Amen? There's not going to be any more tears in heaven. Not going to be. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good reason for me to want to be there. If there was no other reason, I'd like to go because of that. I see little children that cry sometimes, and that really bugs me when children cry, because they should never cry. In my opinion, they should have a blessed life and never cry and be happy all the time. And I see you parents sometimes and how you try to compensate for them and try to deal with them as they get upset at the nursery check-in back there, or they see the front door of the church. It wasn't like that little beagle out there a while ago. He wanted to get in so bad, and, and, and Ty wouldn't let him in. Opened the car door of my car, and Mary and I got out. He jumped in. If he belongs to any of y'all, he's here somewhere. Find him and take him back home with you. He, he's a loving little dog, it looks like. I don't like to see children cry. God doesn't like to see his children cry either. And you know, he's going to put that in our books those times that our hearts have been broken. You know, years ago, I went for counseling, spiritual counseling. And the guy asked me, I was, I was going through some difficult times in, in the church at that time, and he said, have you cried? I said, you better believe I've cried. Just the other day, I was going down the road, driving back to Mississippi, and I cried all the way through Hallisville, Alabama. It's a good thing to cry sometimes, but it's because your heart is broken. It's because something has hurt you and wounded you that you cry. And, and so in that sense, it wasn't good at all. And yet he knew the value of crying. You see, God has written all this down, 
and he's not going to forget it. And in that book are the names of those who have life. God already knows who's going to accept him. Now, I, I'm not a theologian. I can't figure all that out. If God knows who's going to accept him, why do we have to go out and witness if they're going to accept him anyway? Well, I personally think that if we don't witness, they're, they're going to miss that boat. Somebody's got to tell them about Jesus. And I think it's important that we do that. And I'm excited to get that little cube that our pastor showed us all the other night. I told him next day, I want one. He said, I've already ordered them. I imagine Casey getting one, Rob getting one, and, and, and maybe Josh. I don't know if he'll get one or not. It's a little too complex maybe for him, but, you know, we'll try to help him out with it. I can say that because he's not here. Don't you tell him I said that either. But that cube, I'm, I'm excited about getting to use that. It's going to be fun trying it out. I'm going to try it out on my nurse, first of all. I'm gonna, she's not knowing that I'm going to be witnessing to her, but I'm going to be witnessing to her. I tried it one time. She got mad, so I've got to... Be careful this next time. I said, you mind if I talk to you? She said, well, yes. I thought, well, this is not a good start right here to a witnessing time. And she's a good gal, and maybe she's saved. She says she's saved, but I want to be sure. And so God knows that our name is in his book, and he's going to guide us through life just as certain as I'm standing here tonight. Now, in verse 14, there, there's a phrase that's important if we're to understand some truth. Now, let's look back at that just a moment. And Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, where does God provide those things for us? Wherever our need is at. If our need is there, God's going to provide it. And again, there's things I don't understand, but Abraham was at the right place at the right time because that's where God told him to be, and God provided for him, just like he does you and I. Have you ever been in a place where you knew God's plan was being carried out in your life? At that very moment, somebody said a word to you, somebody comforted you or encouraged you, some sermon, some Sunday school lesson, some BBS time. You know, all those things happen, and, and, and it's God speaking to us. Listen, be aware of that. It's a certain time where God's going to speak to your heart, and, and it's that time where the Lord does it. When does God do that? Not before we need it. God's not going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. In fact, most of us sitting here right now don't really know what's going to happen for the rest of the night. We all hope we're going to go home and get in our beds, comfy beds, and go to sleep. I can't tell you how many times I thank God for my bed. Y'all ever thank God for your bed? Man, getting in that bed at night is just like Linus in his blanket. Amen? You can snuggle down in there and, and just pull that sheet over you, that cover. Oh, relaxation. You've had a busy day, a hard day. It's been stressful. But it's over, and now you're going to get to rest. I love that time of night. I really do. Until our dog gets us up sometimes a little early, I'm happy. And, and it's a good time. When does God meet our need? When we bring our request to his throne of grace. God's got grace, abundantly grace for us. You know that? He's not niggardly in giving us his grace. He's not cheap. He wants to give it all to us if we'll just come to him and open our hearts and receive it. He'll do that. And that's what God wants to do tonight. In ways he'll provide it, somehow. When? When we need it. How? Usually, it's not like the burst of sunlight at midnight. It's not some dramatic thing. It's not some lamb showing up with his horns tied up in the, in the vines. It's just some simple thing that you know that God is speaking to you right then, right there. He's telling you, this is the way you've got to go. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to take care of you if you'll just let me. Your needs are going to be met. 
in ways that usually are very natural. Abraham was that way. God provided a ram. He didn't see that ram until he had that boy on the pyre. He didn't see him. I don't think he would have said so if he did. But nothing said about that. And all of a sudden he looks and there's that ram. Where did it come from? I wonder if Abraham said, well, my goodness, I've been looking all around and seen that ram. And there it is. That's the way God works. He's so surprisingly good at it, isn't he? He'll bring people into your life that you don't expect to comfort you at a time that you need comforting. Now, we ministers do that a lot in hospitals and nursing homes and hospice care places. But God uses all of us in that way. You can speak to somebody better by far than Casey and I can because you know them better. You've been around them a lot longer. You, you have a rapport with them. And God provides you at that time. You ever had anybody say to you, what's wrong? I know something's wrong with you. Something ain't right. Why, why are you so burdened down? Why are you so upset? What's going on in your life? Well, that's God just sent you an angel, brother, sister. He just sent somebody who wants to listen to your tale of woe and commiserate with you. Now, you may think that, you know, a stump toe ain't serious, but you ask a little boy or girl, it's serious. You know, it's serious. Little children's feet are so pretty, but I ain't never kissed one that stumped their toe. I've kissed them when they were born and things like that. I love little children's feet. They're so cute. Now, mine are not. And I tell you, years ago, I, I decided I was going to wash my deacon's feet. Now, deacons, don't think I'm going to do that again because I ain't. <laughs> Once was enough. Some of the ugliest feet I've ever seen in my life. And that's the reason I don't go barefooted, never have, and never will. Because my feet are ugly, too. I think it's the ugliest part of a human body. And that's just my opinion. If you're in love with your feet, just go ahead. That's all right with me. But I don't think they're attractive at all. But here this God comes and says, I'm going to prepare this for you. And maybe you're going to walk up on somebody tomorrow at work, and, and maybe they're having an ugly experience in, your life, in their life. Maybe they've just lost a loved one, and maybe their child is in trouble, and it's ugly, just like feet are. And it breaks your heart, and you put your arm around them, you hold their hand, you pray with them, you comfort them, and you call them up to come, how's it going? And you call them up again and again. They know you care. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes that's God's greatest blessing in our life, that somebody cares. Amen? That's serious. It really means something. Why does God provide everything for us? That we might hallow his name, honor his name, glorify his name in every way. Well, the first thing I want you to see is the provision of God. The second thing I want you to see is the proof of Abraham's faith. This is very simple, very simplistic. Look, look what he did. First of all, Abraham was prepared to give God his very best. Now, I've been on a tear in my own heart for the last few weeks about that. I, I think the Baptist church is filled up with good people, but they don't want to give God their best. They want to give God what's left over. Now, forgive me if that hurts your feelings. It shouldn't because you're here tonight. But it bothers me. And I talk to people I know in my family and, and in the church. I, where, where were you the last three weeks? Well, we went here this week, went there that week, went there that Well, are you going to be here? Well, no, I don't think I'm going to make it this time. When are you going to come? If you love your wife, you love your husband, you like to go home, don't you? If you don't go home, something ain't right. If you love God, why don't you want to be with his people, worshiping him, hallowing his name, Amen. 
I don't understand that. I really, really don't. I'm not just preaching. I really can't understand that. If you understand it, help me. Tell me how you understand it. If God moves a mighty way in our life, I want to be part of it. I want to be there when the glory comes down. And I want to be there and see what's going on in your life. I want to fellowship. I like to stand out there with old Ronnie when he'll let me and, and, and witness to people and bring them in. He's good at that. I'm trying to learn from him. I love to see folks and pat them on the back and hug them if they're up to that. Some of them ain't. That's okay. You're missing out, but I've got a hug for you if you want one. Me and Judy Brown are huggers. I like to hug. And, and I think it's great to be around the fellowship of these people right here. You're the best people I know. And I want to be here when God begins to speak to us through our pastor, through the music, through the Sunday school teachers. You remember the story in 2 Chronicles, perhaps, of Jotham. He succeeded Uzziah as king. He was 25 when he started, and he was a king for 16 years. And you know, it's interesting. I'm not going to go turn over it, but it's in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 27th chapter. The first thing I noticed about him was that he did right in the sight of the Lord. You can never, now listen to me, you can never do right in the sight of the Lord if you aren't faithful and pleasing to him in every way. What right was he talking about? He wasn't talking about his right. I may feel it's my right to leave this church and go somewhere else. And, but you know, you're going to go somewhere else after that. And you're going to go somewhere else after that. We're not perfect, but I guarantee you this is as loving a church as I've ever been in. I've pastored one for 50-something years. They were great churches. I loved them, and they loved us. But this is a loving church. There are a lot of churches that don't have this. I want to be here with people like you. I want to get to know you better. I don't know how long we've been here, four, five years, six. But I've grown to love you more, and I had so many people I don't even know now. It's the right, not of ourselves, of others, but it's the right of God that he was talking about. He, he did right in the sight of God. Are you doing right in the sight of God? Oh, man, I hope I am. I want to be. I plan to be. I try to be. And, and we all fail at that. We're not always right with God. But God is a forgiving God when we come and confess it to him. But, folks, how can we claim to love God and don't love his church? Jesus loved the church. He died for it, us. How can we not love being in the fellowship? Do I think it's always great and wonderful and exciting and thrilling? No. But I don't think anything is always wonderful, great, exciting, and thrilling. But I still do those things. I still get involved. I'm not excited about driving a car around the world. I don't like to drive anymore. Now, when I was 15, I couldn't wait to do it. If you lived in Mississippi, you could drive at 15 with no permit. Ha, ha. You Alabamians think you all know everything. But over here, you've got to be 16. And I've been asking John Roberts. Uh, uh, John Douglas, I said, have you got your license? No, I've got the permit, and I've got to go get it. I'm 16, but if you don't get an uh, 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 appointment, you've got to stand around and wait. Mom and Dad don't want to do that. So every week if I stay, I said, got to be, no. Man, listen, I'd have been there at 6 o'clock in the morning, been the first one in line, wouldn't you? He's chilled out about it. I wouldn't have been chilled out like that. I wanted those licenses really bad. You see, God's going to do right by us, folks. Don't you doubt that. Don't ever doubt what God is doing and working in your life. You may think it's difficult and it's unhappy and, make you un unhappy and it causes you to doubt God. Don't doubt him. 
He may be moving you closer to him than you've ever been in your life. And that's precisely where we all want to be. I can tell you that. There's so much of this, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't serve God. I don't come to church. I've been talking to a guy about that over and over and over. He'll come a time or two, and then he's gone again. I pray you'll have that burning in your heart that God is worthy of your worship and of your love. God said to Abraham, for now I know that you fear God. And then finally tonight, I don't know how long I preach, but I know Richard likes to get out early back there, so I'm going to help him out. The consequences of his sacrifice. So many blessings came to Abraham. We ought not to be surprised because the Bible says God is a rewarder of those who love him and serve him and are faithful to him. He rewards us. You know, that's a fun thing to get a reward. I've been watching all these little rewards that coming through the schools right now, and graduation and first grade rewards and third grade rewards. They're so cute. They're so cute. The only one I wanted was a get out reward. Amen. Get out of that school. I wanted that one. I never could get it, so I just quit and left. I know you can't believe that. I did, but I made up for it the next 15 years of college, so I caught back up. But you see, all these little things. My great-granddaughter got the nerd award. I can't believe that. I don't know what that is, but it don't sound really promising. <laughs> it doesn't sound too exciting, the nerd award, but that's what she got. And I guess they think she's a nerd. She, they ain't been around her very long is all I can say. But she does walk around with that tablet in her hand all the time. Your children and mine are missing something. They don't know how the sun looks. They've never seen it. They never get outside and go play, do they? My mother couldn't get me in the house at night. Could yours? She'd call about the third time, I better be moving that way. And if she used both of my names, I better have already been there. And she just didn't notice I was there yet. We stayed outside to dark every night, playing somebody's house in the yard, somewhere doing something. I never stayed home at night until it was time to go to bed and eat dinner. I never stayed at home on Saturday. We kids would gather somewhere, and we'd ride around the block on our new bicycles till the wheels fell off. And now you can't get a kid out the door. I said to my great-granddaughter, you want to go out and swing? It's too cold. That wouldn't have stopped us, would it? We'd have been out there, and it wouldn't have mattered. My daughter was not that way, and she dressed oddly. In the summertime, she wore coats. In the wintertime, she wore shorts. But she didn't care. She'd get out there and ride all day long. Go up and down the street, meet her. Couldn't say a word. She's deaf. But she met more neighbors than we did. And I couldn't find her. She'd be eating supper at somebody's house. Poor little thing, a little raggedy-looking thing. I guess they'd take her in, you know. And she was gone all the time. We never worried about her. She was confident she could find her way back home. We were, too. But kids today, they don't know what's next door to them, much less the next block. They've never seen it. They stay in all the time. Look. Get out and serve God. Get away from your comfort zone and look at the consequences that God will bless you with. He'll commend you. He will commend you. You'll get his commendation well done. And that's the thing you want to hear. There will be illumination. Look at that. Abraham learned that God was really the great provider. Have you learned that? Have you learned that no matter what happens or who does what to you, God is on your side. He's not going to abandon you because someone else doesn't like you. If that was true, most of us wouldn't be here right now, would we? Most of us would give up and quit and go home, because I guarantee you, most everybody in this room tonight, except maybe Casey's lovely bride, has somebody who don't like her. You know, but not Jennifer. She's all right, Jennifer. 
but most of us are not that good. And you see, there are going to be people who just don't like us. I happened to drive up at a restaurant this morning for breakfast, and one of my favorite people was there. He hates my guts. He can't stand me. He hadn't liked me in 30 years. And guess who's pulled up next to me getting out of his truck? That very same guy. He didn't speak. I didn't speak. He went in one door. I went in the other. He went in first. I came in behind him. We acted like the other one wasn't there, but we both knew we were. But he hadn't liked me in a long, and never is going to like me no matter what. But you know, that doesn't offend God about me. It doesn't make God dislike me. It doesn't make God dislike you unless you react wrongly to it. Then God will dislike you. He will judge you for that. You better get it right. You see, there was illumination. And then finally, there was confirmation in verses 15 and following. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, declared the Lord, because you have done this thing. What was this thing? He obeyed God about the sacrifice. He was willing to offer up his own son. Because you have done this, man, and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you. Let's open ourselves up to the great blessings of God. Let's be faithful to him. Let's be faithful to him, and let's come, and let's serve him, and let's get excited, and, and let's be godly people every day of our life, wherever we are. Let's do that. Now, finally, three, three truths, and I'm done. First of all, learn the simplicity of faith. Faith is not trigonometry. It's not algebra. It's not, you know, little figures and squiggles on a board that means something. It's just real simple. It's just God speak. We believe it. That's it. Not only do we need to learn, or we can learn the simplicity of faith, we can learn the strength of faith. Abraham's strength showed him the way. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. He didn't know that then. He didn't know that. He assumed that. He was confident of that. But he didn't know that. But here he had learned the strength of faith, and it showed him the way to bring his son back home. Third, the source of faith. That's another lesson. Abraham had a remarkable conviction about the power of God. And then the secret of faith. Twice in this chapter, Abraham responds with, the, with God's question, Abraham, and he would say, here I am. Well, that's what I'm going to ask you tonight as we go. Where are you? God's calling all of us tonight. I think it's a constant call. I don't think he takes any days off from trying to move us closer in the relationship with us, with him. So he's calling us tonight. Are you going to say, here I am, Lord? And a lot of people in the Bible did that. A lot of people in the world have done that. And I believe most of you here tonight have done that. Here we are, God. Take us where you want us. Do what you will with us as long as we're able to serve you. That's my prayer. Oh, God, I want to serve you. Father, thank you for these people. I love them dearly. They're great people. They're great Christian people. They love you. They're not perfect. None of us are, but we want to be. And we know if we live with you and stay faithful to you, one day we're going to be perfect, just like you are perfect. We're going to see you face to face. We're not going to hide in the cleft of a rock. We're going to see you. Oh, what a day that will be. Thank you for that assurance of our faith in you tonight. In Christ's name, amen. God bless.